with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, God, for the um, gift of your scriptures and the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would send that same Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us as we look at this very important, very wonderful uh, passage of scripture today. We do pray that you would be with the Reverend Adam Young, that you would help his back to heal and mend, and that you would bring him here another time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So for those of you Gator fans who came looking for the Reverend Adam Young, who is the new chaplain uh, at the University of Florida, the Episcopal chaplain, uh, he texted me this morning uh, and said his back had seized up. Uh, and he said the last time that he uh, his back seized up, he tried to muscle through and um, ended up dislocating a disc and had surgery. So he said, I better not try to muscle through uh, on this. And um, so he was really, really sorry, uh, intensely sorry, actually. Um, but, but nevertheless, that was the right thing uh, for him to do is to not come. Uh, today. So what I thought uh, I would do, I said, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to um, to bring a lesson very quickly. Um, last week, uh, Trent preached on the gospel passage. Uh, <clears throat> incidentally, I, um, I, I listened to his sermons and I thought they were some of the best that he's preached. Uh, I should stay away more often. Um, uh, <laughs> he did a good job. He really did. Very relaxed. And so, uh, but I, I, um, so I, I preached in Wyoming on the, on the epistle, uh, which is from 2 Corinthians that you have before you. And it is a, uh, just a fabulous passage. It's one of my very favorites. I think if, if there were such a thing, it would be one of the peaks of St. Paul's uh, writings. At the very least, it's a, one of the peaks of St. Paul's writings to me. It, it is uh, something that I really value, this, um, uh, this passage. So, let me read it. Uh, I'm going to kind of work through the sermon just a little bit, uh, and, and we'll just have some discussion. If it doesn't take us all the way to 1010, that's, that's okay. Um, and we will really do our very best to have uh, Adam Young back uh, another time. Next week, we're going to interview Bethany Dixon, who is our, our new uh, youth minister. She's here from uh, Maryland, and she served at uh, Good Samaritan Church in Paoli, Pennsylvania for five years, and, uh, and is now here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so now she is uh, here and will be forever. So, um, let me uh, read uh, God's word here. So, Paul Paul is in the middle of uh, a rant of, of sorts. You know that, that his his relationship with the Corinthian church, which he founded, uh, was strained. Uh, he left. It was good while he was there, but he left, and it was uh, he had some. There were some teachers that came in. Uh, with letters of recommendation, uh, they were boasting about how long, how far they had traveled to get to where, uh, to get to the Corinthians to be with them. Uh, in short, they were saying that they were they were better uh, than than Paul, and uh, their teaching was superior to his. His message of grace was uh, insufficient, and um, and you know, they didn't what they did not want to throw out. What they were uh, afraid of of throwing out was the law. Uh, the law had been uh, the means of salvation. Um, if you you were as a good Jew to adhere to the law, and here was Paul as a, as a former rabbi, uh, now teaching that you were saved not by the law and by works of the law, but by grace. That Christ's work was sufficient. Uh, and so, there's a real tension between Paul and this Corinthian church. In fact, this is the fourth letter he's written. It's only the second one that we have. Um, but most scholars uh, believe that, at the very least, 
um, we, there are two letters that we don't have uh, that and you can kind of piece that together by looking at some of the stuff. Either two letters we don't have or some of the letters he's had are pieced together into these, these two letters. Um, I think it's the first. that These, This is a full and complete letter. But this is um, getting towards the end. There's 13 chapters in 2 Corinthians. He loves them very much. But you can hear the, the ache uh, in his voice. And he's very concerned with morality. Uh, there, so let's not say that morality doesn't matter uh, and it's only grace. That, that we, He is very concerned over and over again with some of the behaviors uh, of the Corinthians. But that's not what gets you to God, is your adherence. It's what gets you is fully uh, the grace of God given in Jesus Christ. And as a response, we live holy lives. So to get that order out is to, is to throw Christianity essentially out the window. Um, but, but that is, uh, nevertheless, our morality is important. Here's what, here's what he says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, you want to make sure, I'm just going to kind of work through this sermon. Uh, and I started the sermon with a story that I think I've told uh, here before. It's just a little a cute story about a school teacher from England. Have I told the story? And she went to Switzerland. Uh, she was looking for an apartment to rent. She was going to uh, teach in the school there in Switzerland. And so, uh, preemptively, before she went to Switzerland uh, to teach, she was going um, to just look for an apartment. The schoolmaster of the school showed her around different uh, apartments that she could rent. She found found one, and headed back to England to make final preparations. When she was there, though, she didn't. Uh, she she realized that she didn't remember seeing a water closet. Remember, you know what a water closet is? Yeah. Restroom. Uh, restroom. Right. That's what the British call a, a restroom. So, um, so she wrote to the schoolmaster and asked, uh, inquired if there was a WC uh, at the apartment. And the schoolmaster was not a great English speaker, and he um, didn't know what a WC was, so he went to the local parish priest, and the, uh, the best they could come up for WC was Wayside Chapel. And so, uh, so the schoolmaster, schoolmaster wrote the following note. Dear Madam, I take great comfort in informing you that there is, in fact, a WC 
situated just nine miles from the house in the corner of a beautiful grove of pine trees. It is capable of holding 229 people, and it is open on Sundays and Thursdays only. You will no doubt be glad to hear that a good many people bring their lunch and make a day of it. I would especially advise your ladyship to go on Thursdays when there is organ accompaniment. The acoustics are excellent. Sincerely, the schoolmaster. And so just a cute, uh, a cute story, but it, what it says is that if you're answering a question, you want to make sure that you're answering the questions that's being asked, right? And, and what, what strikes me about this uh, passage from uh, 2 Corinthians, if we just take it on its own, um, like, like the liturgy does, it kind of, the liturgy kind of picks it up out of uh, the lectionary, kind of picks it up out of its context and gives it to us. Uh, it, it says that Christianity sometimes provides answers, uh, but it doesn't provide the answers to the questions we sometimes ask. And what, what I mean by that is that we come sometimes to Christianity the way we might come to Stephen Covey, right? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or Dale Carnegie and um, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or any other just myriad self-help books. In fact, I've seen, uh, I've been to bookstores where uh, Bibles were sold from the self-help section, uh, because that's the assumption that um, you know, these are great books. I, re- I read a lot of leadership books and things like that, and and um, and they they answer questions, but they don't answer um, the, the questions that Christianity answers. They ask, answer questions like, "How can I be a better person? Uh, how can I be a more effective leader? Uh, how can I have my best life now?" And some of those uh, those books, including one with that title, "Best Your Best Life Now," uh, would purport to be a Christian book. They might have Christian wisdom in it. But ultimately, or at least at its foundation, Christianity doesn't answer uh, those sort of questions. Um, It answers a different question. But that sort of self-help, best self kind of approach to Christianity is alluring, is tempting, because we are all naturally ladder climbers, right? We all want to be the best. We want to... to, um, we want to move forward. We want to be the best in our field, the best in our family, the best in our parents' eyes, best in our class, uh, whatever it is. We want to be uh, at the top. We want to be the best in the eyes of our friends, the best in our uh, community at the junior league or whatever it is. And if Christianity can help us get there, then we're all for it, right? Um, and, and in fact, I've, I've told this story before too. This wasn't part of the sermon that um, I had a, a woman, when I worked at the YMCA, uh, we would do Bible devotions. Uh, I worked at, um, I ran after school and, and uh, day camp programs. This the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA, although that sometimes gets watered down a little bit. But nevertheless, my administration said that I could, we could do that. We were a Christian, uh, Christian organization, so, and parents were paying to have their kids come, and so we would do that. Not like Jesus is the only way, you know, you're going to hell if you, you know, anything like that. There was nothing like that. It was just... You know, it was basically morality, um, but there was a family there who was who was Jewish, and um, and she, and the mom kind of raised a, a a fuss about that. She didn't want us reading from the Bible, and I, I could understand that. Um, and, and anyway, she had communicated that through um, uh, through one of my assistants, and and I I called her and to ask about that, and she got furious with me, and she essentially said. Um, I'm a better, she said, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a better Christian than most of the Christians I know. Well, what does she mean by that? 
she meant that she was a very moral person, ripping into me at the time, notwithstanding. Um, but she, um, she said that she was, uh, and that was because that's what she believed Christianity asked, was how can I be a better person? How can I be more moral? Um, so you should be a better person. Don't get me wrong. You know, you should be, and so should I. Uh, we should work on those things. But again, as a fruit of what God has done for us, not as a precursor or um, uh, earning what God has done for us. So if Christianity is just be a better you, then it, it offers good advice, right? But it doesn't offer good news. But, you know, the word gospel means good news. Um, have you seen the, the uh, Netflix series called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? Yes, yeah, some of you have, some of you have. It's Jerry Seinfeld. And what he does is he, he's a sort of a car nut, and he, he interviews comedians driving around. They go to, and get coffee, and they just talk about the business of comedy. And sometimes they talk about what makes, uh, gets a laugh. And, and he's a real scientist uh, about comedy. So it's really, it's an interesting show. And um, recently, uh, Amy and I watched an episode with Ellen DeGeneres. Now, Ellen DeGeneres and Jerry Seinfeld aren't usually the ones I quote in sermons. Uh, but but she picks him up and um, or he pick he picks her up and and she, he had picked her up in a Toyota Land Cruiser and she said this looks like a safari have you been on a safari Jerry you should go on a safari that's what she says in her sort of Ellen kind of uh, way and and that's good advice because you know uh, a safari is an amazing thing and Jerry Seinfeld's worth over nine hundred million dollars right you can look that up anywhere and um, he is and. And so that's good advice. Go on a safari. And he, granted, he's a comedian, but he slumps his shoulders and he goes, all right, just one more thing i got to do. Right? So he takes his good advice and he makes it, and it becomes um, oppressive in, in a sense. And, and I know he's a comedian, but good advice is not the same thing as good news. Ellen didn't say, hey, I'm taking you on a safari. She said, you should do that. So Christianity has lots of good advice, right? Be more loving, feed the homeless, be grateful, be generous. All things that would help you make, uh, be a better person. Not all things that may, would make you be a Christian, particularly anybody, can be more grateful or more generous or feed the homeless. But even in its purest form, think about if you boil the law all the way down, Jesus said there's two main commandments. What are those? Love God, love your neighbor, right? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's a, that's a lot. No exceptions at all, every, 100% of all those things. And love your neighbor to the same degree that you love yourself. Right? The purest form of good advice. The way it lands on our hearts, so you think about the way it, you incorporate it into your own life. All right. Just one more thing i got to do. Right? And we all got plenty to do. How long is your to-do list right now? And many of you are retired. You thought you were retiring from to-do lists. But how many people, I, every person that I have ever talked to, that said, I said, how's, you know, newly in retirement, how's retirement? I don't know how, how I had time to work. That's what everybody says. Everybody says that. We got plenty to do. So way before we need good advice, what do we need? Good news. Right? We need good news. So, 2 Corinthians. Uh, this passage, uh, like I said, is just one of the highlights because it answers the question. 
It answers the question. Not what you are to do. Not what you are to become. But what has God done for you? That's the most important question. That's the question that at its foundation, Christianity answers. Any question about what you are to do or what you are to become is subsequent to that question. What has God done for you? So you might ask it like this. How can I... um, how can I find unconditional love? Which is a great, important question. I, most cogently, I think, actually like this. What, what has God done to reconcile me to Him? How can I, have I, been reconciled to God? So, again, Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians. He's responding to these, uh, these teachers who have come in and said they are superior. They are um, pointing out or trying to um, trump up, in a sense, uh, that Paul is a man of weakness. And so if Christianity were uh, be a better you, then what Paul would have to do to answer these, uh, these uh, accusations uh, is, would be to say, no, in fact, I am higher up the ladder than these people. In fact, my teaching, I'm the uh, apostle that Jesus appointed. I am higher up the ladder. I'm, my teaching is superior to theirs. But he does the opposite. He, to answer their accusations of weakness, he puts his weakness on display. And that is because he is resting in the answer to the question, have I been reconciled to God? The answer is yes. Right? So, Paul says, I know, he's being a little coy. He says, I know a man who was, had this incredible experience where he was, uh, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but it was this experience where this man was brought up to heaven. Now, if you look in the uh, book of Acts, you will see a time where Paul was stoned. Uh, he was unconscious. But they took him and they were, he was left for dead. And most scholars think that that's the time that Paul is talking about. He's actually talking about himself. But he's, not, he's doing it in a, in a little bit of a coy way where he's saying, uh, this man saw things that th- these teachers could not even begin to dream about until they make it to heaven if they do. And, and yet, it, he said, I, the only, but the only thing I'm going to boast about is my weakness. And I just think that's, that's amazing. I mean, again, maybe they're saying, well, gosh, Paul really has done great things. But he's saying, here's what I want you to know about. He says, there, there's this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to keep me from being uh, conceited. Now, the translation that you had last week uh, says to keep me from being too elated. And I understand how they get that. But it's not, it's not that God doesn't want me to be happy. It's that God don't want me to be conceited. He don't want me to get the big head because of all the amazing things that He showed me. So in addition to that, you may, you may relate to this, um, He has given me something that's going to keep me humble. You know, and I, I think about sometimes, I, for a long time, I, um, and, and still, uh, in, in many ways, I, I struggle with anger, short fuse. And, uh, you know, and my parents would always say, well, you're just either tired or hungry, but probably both. You know, but... Um, Anybody else get angry when they get tired or hungry? Yeah. I thought I was the only one. Um, but the, um, the thing is, that doesn't, that doesn't make you angry. It reveals the spirit of anger inside of you. And so, um, and so I, just, I tried to control it, tried to stuff it, tried to get over it, tried to find other outlets for it for years. 
And I was so put out because I kept asking God to take this thing away. I, it was the way that I, I would kind of hurt people, you know, and I just didn't want to do that. And I, I just, I would look at people who just had this, felt, it seemed like they have this great control over their emotions. They don't get rattled about stuff. And I just felt like over the big stuff, I was fine. But it was the little stuff, the dumb stuff that, that just made me, I remember one time I, I dropped a bowl and it broke and I just, I slammed the cabinet door and I just, was just so, this was years and years ago. I'm much better now. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, it's two weeks ago, but the, um, no, it really was a long time ago. And, and then, um, and one time I, I, um, I put a sweater on backwards. I looked down and the, and the, you know, the tag went across my face and I was like, you idiot. You know, like I just, and that was kind of the moment. This is really this is well before seminary, but I just thought that is um, that is an un. That was one of the, the moments actually uh, that I thought that's that is too much. That is that is a, that is an overreaction. Um, but I was really put out with God uh, for not uh, not fixing this because I really wanted. I felt like as a good Christian, I, uh, especially as one who was headed to ministry, I, I should really uh, be better uh, about this. And um, and this passage uh, was was instrumental. Um, I actually went to a therapist as part of the ordination process, and the therapist said, "If you would just you were working so hard to push all that stuff down and make it not be there, and if you would just let it be there, you will find that it will lose its power over you." Um, he said, "God's grace is sufficient for you." Is essentially what he was saying. So what Paul is saying, he puts his weakness on display, tells him about this thorn in the flesh. So remember, the, the accusations are he is a weak man, and Paul says, you're doggone right. Because what does he want them to see? He wants them to see not that he is strong, but that God is strong in him. And so he says, three times I had uh, asked God to take this thing away. Now, Paul is not specific. Um, there have been all sorts of ink spilled in uh, academic writings about what was this thorn in the flesh. Maybe it was an illness, maybe it was a temptation, uh, uh, an addiction, just a sad circumstance. Uh, it might have been his um, eyesight. It seems like Paul probably had a really bad eyesight. But whatever it was, Paul wanted it to stop. And, but he says that, that God sent this messenger of Satan. It was given to me. And, and you know, you've been there too. Like, um, Lord, help me get out of this jam. Uh, help me get over my anger or my need to control everything. Help uh, heal my spouse's cancer. Heal, heal my sickness. Uh, help, bring my estranged child back. If you will, then I. W- if you will do this for me, then I will do something for you. Right? I don't know what it is for you, but you do. And Paul knew what it was for him, and he said three times, or in, in essence, over and over again, I asked God to, to take this away. And God's answer is not the one we want. It's not, you shall overcome. It's not, I will make you strong enough to overcome this. It is my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. If, Paul, if God said to Paul, you shall overcome, then when Paul falls back into this temptation, if it's a temptation, or if he says, you will be healed, but his, his cancer comes back, or whatever it is, then what seemed to be uh, good advice or, or um, you know, you shall overcome would actually serve as a, a terrible disappointment uh, to, to Paul. 
But for God to say, my grace now is sufficient for you. My power is actually made perfect in your weakness. That's not the ladder climbing answer, but it's the answer we need. It's Christianity's answer to the question. Not that you must be sufficient, but that God's grace is sufficient for you. Not that you must be powerful, but that His power is made perfect in your weakness. And you know what your weaknesses are. And you may look at someone else and say, gosh, I was strong like they were. But they're probably looking at you saying, gosh, I, was strong. I wish I was strong like she is. I mean, all of us have our strengths and all of us have our weaknesses. And all of us have a place where we need God that reminds us over and over again that we need God's grace in our lives. For me, that was, and sometimes still is, anger. Other times it's a need to control. Uh, other times, it is just not knowing what to do. I sit in that office and I think, you know, gosh, I better put on a nice suit this Sunday so they'll think I look like I know I, what I'm doing. I mean, I, 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 I um, holy moly. It's working. It's working. Good. But if, if Christianity was just good advice, then there would be an enormous pressure not to fall, not to fail. But this good news, my grace is sufficient for you, says all the pressure ultimately is on God. His grace is sufficient for you. It's relief from the pressure to climb the ladder. It's relief from the pressure to never fall. This is a declaration that no matter what your current circumstances suggest, that you are in God's loving hands. And all we have to do if we're unsure about that is look at the cross. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of power, God's power, God's good power, made perfect in weakness. It looked like everything had gone wrong. It looked like everything that Jesus had been working for was all lost. There he was. He was, he was alone, abandoned, convicted in a kangaroo court. Uh, everything, he, he's dying. The one they thought for sure was going to save them and, and, and kick the Romans out and bring them back to the glory days of David. And it, yet it was there that God reconciled Himself to you and me. That He took your sins and my sins upon Himself. It was there that Jesus descended the ladder and took for Himself our place at the bottom rung and gave us His place at the top. His grace is sufficient. His power, His awesome power, is made perfect in ultimate weakness. And so the question that I left uh, them with in the sermon is, what question are you asking of your Christian faith? Is it, how can I be a better person? Or is it, how can God's grace be displayed through me? Resting in His sufficient grace, resting in His power made perfect in your weakness, you will, I think, almost surely be able to look back over time. Not to see on display your strength, but to look at His grace and find that, in fact, you have become better because you've become more like Christ. But you will not be able to take any credit for Him. And you will get, be able to give Him all the glory. When this, the idea of grace, that's where I said amen, and I probably should now, but the... Um, um, <coughs> When this idea, I mean, I really, I went to seminary thinking, I need to be a better person. I need to convince people uh, that the Bible says they need to be better people. And again, I understand you, morality is important. But again, it says a fruit. 
But what I realized about how, about well a third of the way through seminary was that um, that most of my Christian faith was to pat myself on the back. And when you do that, you have no choice but to look at other people in judgment who have not are not as far along as you, and to look at yourself in shame because there's people who are further along than you are. But Christianity is about the glory of God. And for any progress that you've made, you want to give God the glory, right? And so, to see yourself as a sinner who is weak, who is resting in the strength and the glory of God for everything, His sufficient grace, He's the one that gets the credit. And you can, you can take such great joy in that. And if you do nothing but give Him the glory, deflect any glory and give Him the glory, you will look back and find that you have an abundant and rich life. And that your what what has what has happened uh, is that your life ends up looking like more like the the law described. Be generous, be grateful, help the poor, whatever it is, because of what he has been doing in you, rather than what you, you see. The Christian life is not about accumulation of skills; it's about the releasing of things that we add to Christ. So if you try to get more than Jesus, you're going to get less than Jesus. If you let Jesus be sufficient, you'll get Jesus plus the world. So that's, that's kind of the message of that, uh, that passage, I think. My, his grace is sufficient. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts? Yes, Jim. I think as a pinch hitter, Sunday school teacher on short notice, you do pretty good. Well, thanks be to God. Pat myself on the back for that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I can say this without getting choked up. Uh-huh. I just, um, I may have an opportunity soon to be a manager, mm. trainer. Um, and I wrote on my list of things to do today to Google how to be an effective Christian leader. Well, I don't need to add how to do something. Mm. I need to pray for God's grace to be made evident in my weakness. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there's there's good there's good strategies for calendar management, and there's you know good ways to you know there's those are all good things. They just don't make you a better Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And let me let me say, like, as much Christian leadership, I read secular leadership books. I read Christian leadership books. I read uh, that's important, uh, but. But when we put it, we can easily put the cart before the horse. And everything that you have secular-wise, I mean, you have, to, you have to do the work in your head because it all tells you to, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so there's good management skills and strategies and things like that, but we do need to work, make sure that we're working uh, by His grace. So, good. Thank you for that. Yes, Susie. I think in that age, from what I've studied, everything was, was centered around... The, who they thought Paul was, a great rabbi, a great person. And for him to turn the tables on that, in that culture it was almost unheard of, I think, because it was always like, I'm better than the rest of these people, and mm-hmm. I know more than the rest of these people. And I wonder what kind of an impact, because it's always been, I make more money than you, I have a better job than you, I'm more connected than you. Well, we, I mean, that was, it was a shame and honor culture. And it was a, a I saw a, a speech given by um, Timothy Keller, Tim Keller, who I've quoted many times. He's a Presbyterian minister that I think a lot of. 
And he was invited recently to give uh, a presentation to the Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast in, in London. Um, you can Google it uh, or you, you can find it on YouTube, and I really recommend you do. One of the things he says is that we're actually returning to a shame and honor culture. That the only thing about Christianity, the thing that Christianity offers is a self-giving culture rather than a self-serving culture. Uh, that our natural tendency is always going to be self-serving. And the only thing that we can do is shame people if they don't get on board with, with our, our vision. And we actually, he says, we have, uh, we have a culture now that, um, that says you must be authentic. You must be who you think you are. Nobody gets to tell you who you are. Uh, you, you, are you, you are the highest uh, authority for yourself. And the culture also says we've got to serve the other. We have to, um, we have to feed the homeless. We have, to, um, we have to work for justice. He said, but what happens if being authentic to what feels like what's right to me is that I'm a racist? Or that, I am, um, that I'm not self-serving? Uh, I, mean, I mean, others serving. That I don't care anything about homeless. What if that's what feels most authentic to me? Then the only response that the culture has is shame. Right? And so we, are, uh, we have a, a culture of ideals that have no source, he says. And that Christianity really, the only thing that Christianity has to offer, and he gives a lot of sociological and sort of academic uh, things that back it up, and it's a, it's a wonderful talk, uh, perfect for that um, scenario. But he says that, that, that what Christianity has to offer our culture now is a source for the justice and the, the self-giving that, uh, that the culture is demanding. Otherwise, it's just a, a, it's going to end up in a total hodgepodge wreck. And, uh, and it, we see plenty of evidence of that. So, um, so it was a shame and honor culture then, and we're living in a shame and honor culture now in, in many ways, and it's only going to increase, um, which is why Christianity needs the space to be itself. And to, um, anyway, so that's the first thing that comes to mind when I respond to what you're saying. But yes, it was, they, um, they were doing what people do. They were saying, look at, look at our credentials. And Paul says, I don't want you to look at my credentials, even though I've got them. But I want you to look at Christ. How do you explain so many Christians being so vile and hateful? How do I explain so many Christians being <laughs> vile and hateful? Well, um, I would say that that is because they are sinners. And they're acting like sinners. Um, you know, I've got it in, in that situation. The first thing that comes to mind is Martin Luther, who said, We are uh, simultaneously justified, 100%, and sinners, 100%. Simul ustus et peccator. Simultaneously just and yet sinners. And so they are Christians, and yet they can, well, I say they are. Um, they claim to be. I don't want to say that they're not. They claim that Jesus is Lord. Um, you know, let's let's take. I don't know if you're talking about Westboro Baptist or something like that. I mean, look at the Seventh Day Adventists, who are just, just hardline about keep the Sabbath is Saturday, and um, and they're not they're not vile about it. I mean, some most most some of them are, are judgmental, but um, that I haven't come across. But most of them are just are pretty. That's just, but that's hardline. I mean, that's you have to keep the Sabbath. That's just that's their issue. That's fine. Um, 
And, um, and yet, if salvation, it, that's the thing. If, if, if I keep the Sabbath, but I don't believe in Jesus, then by that standard, I'm, I'm okay. You know, like, it's all about what I, what I do. And here, it's, um, I mean, I think that if I can earn my way to heaven, then I've, I've got a lot of work to do. And in fact, I've got a lot that's already on my record that I can't take off. So I've got even more work to do to try to balance that out. Keeping the Sabbath is important, but it's not. I mean, you know, so, you know, you look at Westboro Baptist, you look at it, you know, all sorts of um, liberal Christianity, conservative Christianity, everybody, our in- inclination is to, is to win and to let, climb the ladder and to protect what we've got. That's just, that's just natural. Paul is a corrective, to, not just to one brand of Christianity, but to humanity's um, inclination to serve ourselves and to climb the ladder. So with a, with a little more time, I, I could probably come up with a little more eloquent uh, idea about that, but um, it's a... Uh, I, hope that's, I don't understand how that is exhibiting Christ. Well, Vile and hateful, how does that... I, I would say that to, to, as, a, as a fellow sinner, I can look at that and say, um, first, I can recognize that and say, I know what that is. That's, that's sin. And I need a Savior just like they do. Um, but I can, I can think that they probably are so frustrated because they feel like they're trying to protect what God has said is holy. Well, honestly, to me, that's not ours to protect. Right, but I mean, I actually uh, recently because um, our gen- general convention was uh, protested heavily uh, in Austin by Westboro Baptists. I actually went on Westboro Baptists' uh, website to to take a look. You can go and find it very easily. Um, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a it's a coherent framework. It's not one that I agree with. They use a lot of scripture, but it's really trying to get people to act in a certain way. Based on what is it's is completely ungracious, but they believe that they are um, upholding morality that is biblical. So there there's a there's a religious sense of conviction behind it, but it's not one that is I think with you um, is looking at grace or, or formed in grace. That's all the time we got, folks. Um, and I hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, to know that God's grace is sufficient for you and His power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes you can speak on the third heaven. Yes. The third heaven? I don't know if I can speak on that. Um, All right. Bless you.